mom was nine months pregnant, sitting at a soda fountain at Charlie's Drugstore, waiting for my dad. My older sister, Carol, about eight years old at the time, was looking at magazines when a creepy male figure stood next to her. She sensed this man was up to no good. He was covering something in his hand with a sweater. The man made his way past mom toward the back of the store. Charlie was back where the money was kept for check cashing. Mom froze in place and in time. She heard a gunshot ring out from Charlie's direction. Mom gathered up my sister Carol and they raced out the front of the store and hid in the entrance of Sicily's Pizza, which was located right next door to the drugstore. Once my sister was secure, Mom went back to check on Charlie. He was dead. The robber blew Charlie's brains out. This scene played out on a hot July summer evening, somewhere near midnight at break time by Fisher One, the iconic General Motors auto factory in Flint, Michigan. The scene outside the automobile assembly plant would soon be bustling with workers catching their lunch breaks. Wives often met their husbands at break time, bringing their loved ones a warm meal, or just a kiss to say hello. Drugstores in that era served several purposes, with one being an after-hours working-class bank, cashing checks, selling money orders, and Western Union services. Charlie's Drugstore is a 1950s classic drugstore, complete with a soda fountain stocked with boxes of my favorite baseball cards, and a wide slice of double bubble gum. Corner Drugstore was a stereotypical party store of its time, absent the liquor. That came a couple decades later. It was in with the liquor and out with the milkshake counter. In Flint, drugstores near auto factories were flush with cash. Banks closed at five o'clock. For people having paycheck to pay, living paycheck to paycheck, they must go on. The events leading up to the murder my mom watched was a blur to her. The gun-toting murderer quickly fled into the steamy July night. Mom, Carol, and I were very lucky our lives weren't snuffed out that hot July evening. Dad was supposed to meet Mom at the drugstore to get his paycheck, and he wanted to cash it. Instead, he was greeted by a swarm of Flint police cruisers and emergency responders. Mom was interviewed by the police about the robbery and murder of Charlie, the store owner. Mom and Sister Carol were the only eyewitnesses. My mom was scared to death that the killer would come looking for her. She couldn't sleep at night, traumatized by the robbery. Two days after the robbery and murder, the Flint Journal, on the front page, top of the fold article, wrote about the tragedy published. It wrote about this tragedy and then published my mom and my sister's names along with their address 
on Penn Galley Road in the Dixieland subdivision. Dad used to always say, in life it's not who you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I guess he got that line in the Air Force. He needed to calm and comfort my mom some way. He called the city councilman. He asked if the city would install a streetlight at the corner of Pengali and Browning Streets, right out in front of the house. The bright street light fully illuminated the street corner as well as the front yard of our simple Cape Cod style home. The murder of Charlie remains unsolved to this day. I arrived a healthy I arrived healthy a short time later at Flint's McLaren Hospital. McLaren Hospital was has recently gone down in infamy as the site of the world's largest outbreak of Legionnaire's disease during the Flint water crisis. This is some argument between McLaren and the city of Flint about who is to blame. Between 2014 and 2015, the state of Michigan Public Health Department reports indicated that one source caused the Legionnaire's disease in Genesee County that sickened 90 people and killed 12. That source was McLaren Flint. Of course, like everything in Flint, McLaren Hospital disagreed with its government. As we could expect, Mom never got past that event in her life. There's a bit of serendipity where one's life comes to a violent end with the future prosecuting attorney as its unborn witness. Welcome to Flint, Michigan. Welcome to Flint. My hometown sure isn't the mythical Mayberry. Unlike Mayberry, Flint is a concrete jungle. It's one of the most crime-ridden cities in all of America. It has been a broken city for a long, long time. A deputy sheriff in Flint is more likely found chatting with a child molester or a murderer than Mayberry's Barney Fife who spent his time talking with drunks and perhaps a littering suspect inside a county jail cell. Flint is the major leagues of crime fighting. As far as cities go, Flint is to crime what Green Bay is to the National Football League. For several decades, Flint was at the top or was in the top 10 of the nation's cities over 100,000 people. In many crime categories, it led. It has been a national leader in such crimes as homicide, sexual assault, arson. In Flint, infant mortality ranks near the top of not just American cities, but also in the entire world. It also has a high incidence of certain types of throat and lung cancers, with the suspected link being GM's chemical plating operations and factory air pollution. General Motors left Flint with a legacy of environmental degradation which has required millions of dollars to remediate and there is more to be done. 
in a town without a fully safe water supply, just so you get a better picture of my hometown today. It has one of the worst educated populations in America, tens of thousands of uneducated and unskilled people trapped in some of the most horrific poverty and schools in arguably the greatest nation on earth. It has income levels near the bottom of American cities of any size. It has become a place where nearly all hope has vanished, a place where America has mostly forgotten. My hometown is at the epicenter of American carnage, largely the result of globalization and incompetent government. It, it was once a great American city. It has fallen completely off the radar screen. It is now a forgotten city with a poison water supply, eye-popping crime rates, and an economy trashed by the march of industrial and high-tech globalization. Not long ago, the city caught a serious break, losing so much population that it's not a city under 100,000 any longer. Because of that, the scorekeepers of crime kicked us out of the major leagues of crime cities. We no longer get all the analytics. It had nothing to do with the fact the city has fewer violent crimes. In fact, it could be seen as a place where crime is even worse because the population is smaller with the exact same crime problems. It is one of the top cities in the country for one-way U-Haul business, one way out of town. According to the Flint Area Chamber of Commerce, in the past 10 years since the Great Recession of 2018, the Flint Area has hemorrhaged another 17,000 jobs. Its youth unemployment rates the highest in all communities in Southeast Michigan, and that includes Detroit. Cynically, the people of Flint don't need the FBI or the Detroit News to tell them that Flint is not a very safe place to live. You can measure the safety of most places like Flint by how many people take a drive around town packing guns after dark. If you are brave and stupid enough, you could take a spin about Flint at night. You may be disappointed to find that besides yourself, there are just a few other suspicious looking cars on the road. Cars with gangsters driving slumped in the driver's seat, bong wrapping blaring out the windows, rattling your teeth. It might be, it might seem that this is a gangster paradise. Believe me when I say, you are really not in paradise. You are live in a living hell. Before long, you might be walking home without your car and without your wallet. You and your soccer mom Chevrolet Tahoe are going to look reality right in the face. Another thing that's really nuts about Flint crime rankings is their accompanying publicity. The city fathers and some mothers view the publicity as the cause and not the effect of the high crime rate. By analogy, say you are selling your house in Flint, you don't advertise buying a really nice house in a shitty place. No one, not even Zillow, advertises your census track, crime statistics, along with the dimensions of your house. As an aside, Zillow does advertise whether or not your house is in a shitty school district. Point is, if you know your neighborhood is full of convicted sexual predators, you are not going to live there. In the 1990s, we were in the midst of the crack cocaine epidemic. 
It's not any less of an epidemic 30 years later. Opioids, the latest menace, were not sold as often on the street corners in bad neighborhoods. Opioid addiction, including heroin, involves not just black people, but white people too. Thus, it's a bit tidier to create a public health problem out of its emergence. That may not be such a bad thing either. Suburban mom gets her doctor to give a prescription for pain pills, then goes to Walgreens and picks up the dope. That makes sense. It's much more appealing to a suburban housewife to feed her habit. There are no armed street corner people from whom to make a drug purchase, no scary dope houses to find, Walgreens, CVS, and Walmart. It's as easy as getting milk and bread. Pain pill addiction is not a new thing to Flint or the Midwestern working class. In the 1970s, downers were prevalent and popular. These drugs included opiates, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, and antihistamines. Remember Valley of the Dolls? That book sold 31 million copies across the world. An important lesson to learn from all of this banter is that in order to solve the problem in your city, it first must acknowledge there is an opioid problem. It is highly likely that it has other drugs that are just as bad and likely worse. We all learn from something about accepting responsibility from Alcoholic Anonymous. In part, that's what makes AA approach so effective in that alcohol has, alcoholic has to admit a problem before uh, at a meeting before he can uh, get help. And he has to do so often in front of God and his family, his friends, and then hopefully there's some change. But if you deny the serious problems, you'll never seek a solution. So how in the hell did I end up here? I was never supposed to be what I became in America and in Flint for that matter. I did have some advantages. I had an unenvious vantage point of an American city in crisis. It was a city coming unraveled in every imaginable way. I was surrounded by traumatic events during my life in Flint. It was an unraveling only imagined by scriptwriters for a movie. Economic collapse, public health problems, crime, drugs, crack cocaine, methamphetamine. All this changed the trajectory of my life. 